0: It's Wednesday, December 9th. Welcome to Market Fullory. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio. Jason Moser, happy Wednesday. Howdy. Welcome back. Welcome back. You were were down uh, in Georgia. We got a lot to get to today. (laughs) We've got Costco, we've got Kinder Morgan, Yahoo Chipotle. We have a lot to get to. But yeah. Give me 30 seconds of your weekend. You were down in Georgia at, I was, at a yeah. member guest tournament with your well, dad. Well, no,
1: this actually wasn't the member guest. I oh, go buddy. down in May. Every May, I go down to the member guest with him. Uh, and then in the fall, towards Christmas, I just take another uh, few days to go down there, visit, say hi, and uh, play a little golf as well. So, that's what this trip was. But I flew into Atlanta, drove down to where they live in Moultrie, which is about three hours southwest, and smoked cigars, drank beer, played golf. Nice, uh, Not necessarily in that order, but
0: Close. How'd you shoot?
1: Uh, you know, it wasn't bad. I you don't get to play a lot of golf nowadays, so eighty one the first day was a little disappointing. Had kind of a tough back nine, but I brought it up with a nice seventy six on the second day, so I felt a little bit better about that. Any money changing hands on the links? Uh, you know, I'd say at at the end of the day, I broke about even. Nice. Uh, So you know that that's you know we're never never really big big high dollar rollers out there. Just a couple of bucks here and there to make it interesting, just to make it interesting. Yeah,
0: exactly. To have a point. Speaking of interesting. Costco reported quarterly profits that fell. I don't even remember the last time they uh, that that happened. First quarter profits down three point two percent. Their revenue was lower than expected. Uh, look, Costco is as steady a business as there is, but I think that's a little of why this is surprising.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's just it. It's steady, and and because it is relatively well established. You know, it's not a secret. It's big, so uh, you know the growth is a bit tougher to come by. I think the the biggest problem with Costco now is you know the, the what this quarter brought was a a pretty big slowdown in membership fee growth. Uh, a little bit less than two percent there versus somewhere in the neighborhood of six percent a year ago, and and so really that's you know one of the things we love about Costco is that membership model where I mean you know they, that membership model allows them to keep Prices just rock bottom low for their members uh, all year long, and and members repay that uh, in the form of customer loyalty. They just renew those subscriptions uh, memberships year in and year out. Um, but you know the problem is you know look at the top line there. Revenue grew one percent over the same year last year. Like you mentioned, net income was down, or sure was down. Um, the question we keep asking ourselves in MDP, this is a holding an MDP, and we love the business. It is a pretty ripe valuation, and when we start having to bring in the question of of the membership fees, you know, the question is now: Can they continue to add memberships to grow that number? And and if they have trouble adding memberships, what kind of pricing power can they, can they afford to sort of eke up prices a little bit there to grow that to grow that membership fees number? They see a. A big international opportunity out there still. Um, I'm a little bit less optimistic that they could actually achieve that 50 50 split one day. Today, it's far more uh, weighted towards the domestic uh, store base, about 700 stores total. So it's you know it's one of those really quality businesses. It just looks like it's had such a
0: great run. I mean it's. Kind of expected when you when you deliver numbers like these. The international locations also tamp down a little bit because of how strong the U.S. dollar has been. So that that hurts them a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean it's a good point. Uh, Again, I mean the majority of the stores domestically, and, and when we consider currency effects. I mean, we don't ignore them. I mean, certainly, it's it's good to understand where a company makes most of its money, and Costco makes most of its money here. Um, and so, we tend to look at those currency effects over a longer periods of time. as kind of a wash, you know. Some some periods they're up, some periods they're down, and, and um, overall, they kind of they kind of even out the longer your timeline uh, is.
0: Probably worth pointing out that this was a tough comp. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not making excuses for them, but the fact of the matter is, their first quarter uh, results in 2014 were massive. I mean, mm-hmm. they, you know, profits were up somewhere, I think, north of 15. You know, their comps were really strong, so this was this was a tough comp. But you know what? That's that's what you get when you keep growing your business year <laughs> after year.
1: Yeah, that's precisely it. And I mean, you know, you you look at that and you say, okay, well, it's not like their numbers were bad. Their numbers were, like you said, they're going up a, a, a tough comp there. The stock is is obviously done very very well, and and you know on the flip side maybe this is something where you know it makes the bar a little bit easier to clear a year from now, and and so perhaps the opportunity is now if you believe that this business still has some room to run, and and we think in MDP it definitely does. It's going to be slow growing though, and and I don't know that they necessarily have quite as big an opportunity out there internationally as as maybe they believe, but they're the ones
0: running the business, not me. (laughs) Following up on our story from Monday about Kinder Morgan and our conversation of whether or not they were going to cut their dividend, word last night that they did, in fact, cut their quarterly dividend from $0.51 a share to 12 cents 5 a share, so that's a 75% haircut. Not the Insert sound effect here. Yeah, not the cut it down to a penny Per share, as one analyst was suggesting, what's going on with the stock though? Because after hours, the stock fell more than five percent. You look at it now this morning; it's up around six, seven percent. That's a anytime I see a double digit swing like that, that always gets uh, or, or yeah, yeah, it gets my attention. What's it's, going on?
1: It seems like we've seen a lot of those double digit swings in earnings season, and when announcements come out like this. I mean, it's worth noting that. Pre-market and aftermarket trading is typically more volatile because it's more computer-based, and they're kind of matching up specific orders there. So I don't think it necessarily quite brings in the human element that normal everyday, uh, normal operating hours of the market uh, brings in. But I think that with with Kinder Morgan. You know, let's be very clear for investors out there. This was the right thing to do. This dividend cut was the absolutely the right thing to do. Um, So, if I were a shareholder in Kinder Morgan, which I'm not, but I fielded a lot of questions on Twitter about this one, I think you have to be at least encouraged by this. I mean, Kinder Morgan itself as a business, this is a good business uh, with smart leadership. I mean, when you're in the pipeline business like they are, that's a very reliable. Uh, sort of cash flow uh, stream that they that they just continue to bring in quarter in and quarter out. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily follow like the E and uh, the same. Now it's it's not to say it is immune to the ups and downs of the overall energy market because it plainly is. Uh, but but I, I would I would put these pipeline companies sort of more on par with something like an energy utility in that they're a bit more reliable. Therefore, they can they can sort of lever up a bit more, uh, you know, and and investors don't necessarily have to worry so much about that debt. But I think that's been a genuine concern with Kinder Morgan is the debt level. uh, How were they going to deal with that? Would they have to raise more equity? When you do that at depressed prices, that just is a big double whammy. And so this this dividend cut allows them to sort of uh, be conservative with their capital structure. And uh, you know, I think ultimately we look at energy. The cure for low prices is low prices, right? I mean, just like high prices is high prices. I mean, there are periods of overinvestment, and then there are periods where the investment doesn't make sense because the profitability is not there until it does. Uh, And and so, energy, which is obviously very cyclical, will come back over time. And and I do believe that that Kinder Morgan will be a business that, when when the overall sector comes back, I think this is a move that will. Uh, help them sort of sustain the business in, in a in a tough economic time. So, so I, yeah, definitely the right thing to do. I mean, if I, if I'm a shareholder of Kinder Morgan, I I'm not unloading shares based on those news. I'm actually feeling pretty good about it. And if I'm interested in the stock today, uh, this is
0: this is one more thing that works in its favor in my eyes. It's kind of nice to see a dividend cut be a positive thing. Yeah, because on the surface. And Taylor and I talked about this the other day. On the surface, it's an immediate red flag. And it makes you question, Candy. what are they doing? And you, you dig into the numbers and you realize they actually have a, a very smart plan at work here. Yep. Yahoo, gosh, it was just a few weeks ago <laughs> Yahoo was talking about its plan to sell off its stake in Alibaba. And now, after meeting for a few days, the board of directors has dropped that plan and says they're going to consider other options, which is mainly selling off the core internet businesses based in the U.S. And from time to time we talk about boards of directors being a little too cozy with the CEO. And here we have an example of a very independent board of directors saying to CEO Marissa Meyer, your plan to build up the core U.S. internet businesses and spin off Alibaba is an interesting one, but we're going to go another way. Do you think if
1: so? Mar- Marissa Meyer's been there, I guess, for about three years now. Do you feel mm-hmm. like if up to this point she had so if she would shown some real tangible results in turning around the Yahoo business or you know the core internet business? I, I wonder if they wouldn't be looking at this a little bit differently
0: because I think I, I think there are a couple things at play. I think that's one of them. Although if you know, unlike some CEOs we've seen, not just in Silicon Valley but in other industries as well. If you bought shares the day she became CEO and you're holding them today, you're pretty happy because that thing's more than doubled. Yeah, you're feeling right. I, I think, but, and you've made this point recently that you look at the top line revenue at Yahoo, it hasn't grown over time, despite the stock's performance. And you've also got this bizarre situation with the IRS yeah. where, for reasons passing understanding, the IRS <laughs> will not tell <laughs> Yahoo the tax implications. Of selling off the Alibaba business, and And, and Matt Greer and I were kicking this around this morning. We're trying to come up with analogy, an analogy in everyday life, and all I could come up with is it would be like if you went to buy a new car, and they didn't tell you what the price was until after you signed a document legally committing to buy it. Sure. So maybe the car is going to cost you twenty grand. Maybe it's going to cost you a hundred grand, but you're not going to find. So that's that's where I feel like not just Marissa Meyer, but the board of directors and everyone at that company is in a really tough spot because the IRS is not giving them any hints on what the tax implications would be.
1: Yeah, it's like you're in college trigonometry and your professor tells you, we're going to have a test tomorrow. And then it doesn't tell you what it's going to be on. Yeah, it's just just trig. And you're gonna like what? Uh, I mean, that's just not you, going to you really show well up. Prepared. It's actually a yeah. test on German, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, precisely. Um, I mean, I think for investors, the Yahoo picture's got a lot more difficult now because now it's it's really trying to look at this business. I think uh, in in relation to the pieces that make up the whole. Uh, I think you know, there are there were plenty of an investment uh, f- theses out there that went with the notion that. There's a lot of value in there in the Alibaba part of the business, and so when they spin that off, investors will realize a lot of value. I mean, it seems like to this point, the question really was one of risk, in in one that how much risk uh, like Yahoo leadership was willing to take on in regard to the Alibaba spinoff because they didn't really know what the tax implications were going to be. You know, leadership felt comfortable moving forward with it. It seemed like other activist investors felt otherwise, and that's sort of where this kind of all started. So now they're looking at this and saying, "All right, well, because you know there is a lot of stuff we don't necessarily know, and they really do need to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders. uh, Perhaps is this, you know, perhaps this is the prudent uh, course of action." Now, it, it certainly begs the question: How much do we think Yahoo's core business is really worth? And when you look at just sort of the numbers behind search, uh, it, it definitely doesn't work in Yahoo's favor. I mean, the biggest problem they have is that you know, 80% of their revenue comes from search and display advertising. Well, I mean, obviously, Google is the king of search. You look at sort of this move towards social with things like Facebook and Twitter and even Snapchat. Uh, Yahoo, very much like Google, I think, is, is sort of missing that social dynamic. And so it becomes more and more a question of why people are going to their property to begin with. And um, I, I, I can't say that I would be all that compelled to invest in Yahoo, just the core internet business, once they spin it off, because it, it, they just don't seem to have been able to. Uh, turn the ship around, so to speak. I mean, three years is a long time, obviously, by Wall Street standards. I mean, this is eternity. We're going to give leadership more the benefit of the doubt and focus more on a three- to five-year time horizon. That being said, three three years down, down the road here, uh, it still doesn't really look like there's much to look forward to. So, um, yeah, I'm not necessarily all that optimistic about just a core Yahoo! investment for shareholders at this point.
0: I'm curious to see who steps up to bid. Verizon gave indications yesterday that they would be interested. Maybe Urban Outfitters! Maybe Urban Outfitters, since they opened a pizza shop. Sure. Why not open (laughs) their own online Urban Outfitters sports website? Because it makes perfect sense. Exactly, if you're insane. Uh, (laughs) No, I I think if Verizon is interested, then I think AT&T starts to kick the tire. It'll be interesting, because if, if Beyond the search, and you look at the content properties that they have, mm-hmm. and you look at the telecoms, and they're let me put it this way: if Verizon's going to plunk down money for AOL, I was just going to say, AOL. then AOL. Verizon is absolutely looking at Yahoo Sports, Yahoo Finance, and other media properties, and I'm sure AT and T and the others will be kicking the tires as well.
1: If, if there's one thing more obsolete than a Yahoo email address, and by the way, I've got one still, <laughs> it's an AOL email address,
0: right? <laughs> Um do you think and and we'll we'll move on to Chipotle in a second but do, do you think Alibaba gets involved here I saw one analyst note laying out different scenarios and one of them was Alibaba steps up and essentially buys itself back Um I mean that certainly could be that certainly could be something that they
1: you know decide to do I mean if they you know just just want to be done with this and just move on. I mean it's either way it sounds like it's going to be resolved one way or another and you know if I'm an investor going forward i am I'd be interested in Alibaba just just by sheer market opportunity alone that's an interesting story to learn more about. I think Yahoo's in, in a bit of a pinch here though and I'm not all that optimistic about the coming years.
0: By the way, you and I and Matt Argusinger and Simon Erickson, are doing a live video chat yeah. on Friday. I wanted to mention looking that. forward to that. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this last week. Million Dollar Portfolio, the service you work on, mm-hmm. is open to new members for uh, just a few more days here. So anyone interested, uh, you can go to mdpradio.fool.com. Uh, that's our Million Dollar Portfolio Exchange. A lot of video content on that site. Uh, interviews with Jason, Simon, Matt. Uh, I think David and Tom Gardner as well, sort of laying out some of the stocks you're looking at in 2016.
1: That site's like its own service alone. I mean, we get to work on putting that stuff together every time we open up. And I'm just, I'm constantly floored by how great a job our tech team does in putting that together, but then all of the production that goes on behind the scenes with our editors, our publishers. You know, yeah. you people that really contribute their time into into making that as uh, robust a site as it can be. And it
0: really, I'm constantly amazed by it. So, again, Friday afternoon, I think three o'clock Eastern is when we're doing the live chat, but the, yeah. the information will be on the MDP exchange. You can go to mdpradio.fool.com. Chipotle, speaking of comments <laughs> and questions we've been getting from listeners over the last week, shares of Chipotle up a little bit today, but over the last two months, down. 25% mm-hmm. in the wake of the E coli incident in the Pacific Northwest and now and this one pains me because this is my alma mater 80 <laughs> students at Boston College uh, down for the count with uh, reportedly something. something something reportedly norovirus um, I'm sure t- it didn't have anything to do with the 12 pack of beer they drank the night before either <laughs> Uh, at a Chipotle in Cleveland Circle, which is right near campus. Actually, just as an aside, my, my alumni friends and I were joking about the fact that, wow, of all the places to get sick in Cleveland Circle, <laughs> it's kind of surprising that it's Chipotle and not Marianne's, which is the name of this I don't know, thousand-year-old dive bar that we all went to, which is just a it's a it's just a college dive bar and sure. it's still there. Yeah, I remember I was um, in a couple of those growing up. Where are we now with this? I feel like you're looking at this situation saying, oh, the stock just went on a twenty five percent sale and 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 now we're good. Well,
1: so I, I think I think trying to call the bottom in something like this is a bit silly because that that assumption you're assuming that you can Basically, predict what tomorrow's headlines will bring. And obviously, no one can. I mean, it seems like every day there's a new story coming out. And I'm sure that one of us could probably throw a tweet out here and say, Oh man, I had Chipotle the other day and now I'm not feeling so well. When it could be any any you know, any number of things and, and that would still probably make a headline at some point some someone would take it and run with it. Yeah, I was talking our buddy Robin Rifkin out there in Seattle, I think, right? Yeah. In Seattle? Um we were talking on Twitter last night and he he's you know, he we talk a lot about investing and he, and he's thinking that you kinda of wait sort of a six week grace period. Let let's see if they can get by six weeks without making any headlines in regard to this. And then that's when you kind of feel like, okay, maybe this is water under the bridge. And I think that's certainly a reasonable way to look at it. I mean, I I, I would focus probably less on on the timing there. I think generally speaking, I think the I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Um, because we really don't know a whole heck of a lot other than, you know, some people were getting sick from eating at a Chipotle. I mean, I've eaten at Chipotle a number of times during this whole window, and continued to, and never really uh, had any worries. I haven't gotten sick or anything. I mean, it's not to make light of the situation, but I mean, this—you know—these guys have made it 22 years to this point, and and for something like this to happen now, I mean, this is part and parcel of the food and beverage industry. So I think it's very easy for people to jump on really quickly and say, "Oh, it's because of their non-GMO, all natural, local sourced ingredients, they're just not really good or not quality or whatever." Well, they made it to this point, you know, so they've been doing something right. And and they are far from the first to to have, you know, a situation like this come down on them. I mean, if Starbucks just recalled a bunch of food from their stores that was linked to Costco's recent E. coli outbreak, right. So it's all out there. I mean, I think really it all boils down to how management deals with this situation going forward, and I think they're doing a good job. But I mean, it's going to require obviously serious investment in the brand. I think the boots on the ground observation that I'm seeing, that Matty Argersinger seeing, that Robin mentioned he was seeing, uh, stores or traffic's a lot lighter. So I think with that slash guidance. And the company I was gonna say the company has lowered guidance. And yeah, they and it, it wasn't even lowered. I mean, that was slashed. That it, went from like four oh seven to like two eighty five or something like that overnight. But but going back to sort of that after hours and pre market market trading, it seemed like the overreact or seemed like the reactions during those periods of time were, were I guess you could say they were overreactions because during normal trading hours the stock certainly uh, moderated a bit. And like you said, it's up today. I think the market at least knows. Hey, look, this is a very quality business with very quality quality leadership. These guys make you know missteps all the time. I mean, it's it's look at Netflix. I mean, in and, and Quickster, and, and that's not food and beverage, mind you. But I mean, it's just the point that great businesses are not immune to. Uh, missteps here and there, and and it's all a matter of how they respond and fix it. And and I think that we believe that they will, and, and we further believe that when you look at this from the perspective of five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, I mean, I as a Chipotle shareholder myself, I plan on owning these shares, you know, for the next twenty years. So for me, I I couldn't care less about it. I, mean, I hope people don't die from this, right? Right. But as, as an investor, I'm not. I think I'm that goes really, without yeah. saying. Yeah, as an investor, I'm not concerned with. You know whether the stock is up today or down tomorrow, um, because I think that you know when you look at the bigger picture, there's still these guys still have a lot working in their favor.
0: Right. This is, I mean, just to bring history into the equation, this is not like the E. coli incident that Jack in the Box had in the in the early 90s. Good.
1: Yeah, I saw that, you tweeted that. That yeah. actually did have a body count. That,
0: so yeah. That's, so th- you know that's and and that's certainly a company that has bounced back. The, the, and I haven't been a shareholder as long as you, but I am a shareholder. I can't help but notice that Monty Moran and Steven Ells, the co-CEOs, are pretty quiet, and I would like to see them be a bit more visible. Maybe they're just taking their time getting their communications plan. But this strikes me as one of those incidents where, speaking just for myself, I want the leaders of the company to come forward, either in a sit-down televised interview, in an open letter, something that just says that communicates even more strongly, we're on top of this, here's our plan, that sort of thing. I also think that, to the extent that you can get lucky with virus problems in your restaurants, they got lucky with the locations. Portland, Oregon and Boston, Massachusetts are big cities. They are not New York and LA. They, you know, I feel like this would be a bigger, more visible problem, certainly from a media standpoint if this went down in New York LA Chicago or DC <laughs>
1: yeah, I think you're right I mean I think you know on the flip side of that coin is that with social media today with I mean particularly it seems that you know, stuff just disseminates so quickly on Twitter that I mean it's really certainly made the country in the world much smaller. Um, I, I I agree with you I think I I would I mean I feel like they the response has been okay I think it's been good I mean I know that they're being proactive and trying to figure out what's going on they've got an area on their website that at least kind of, you know, talks about it. I mean, I think it would be nice to see uh, Elsa Moran together maybe try to try to do something to sort of uh, make people feel a little bit better about the situation. I mean, um, John Mackey and Walter Robb with Whole Foods uh, did that when the pricing scandal came out. Uh, Reed Hastings I think did that during the Quickster thing as well. Um, and I think it was with Ted Sarandos, and so I, I think that could be something that could be helpful. And by the same token, we also made fun of those guys when they did that. <laughs> Remember, I mean the, the Hastings bit, yeah. video is, was not the highest of quality. Yes, and it, let's just say they're they're not actors, right? right? And maybe maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. But it was it was they seem to be a little bit more scripted than than probably uh, empathetic, and and I think that's the key there is to really come across as, as truly concerned and empathetic, and they just need to figure out the best form for them to communicate that.
0: Uh, before we wrap up, uh, again i com. I'll, I'll put that URL in the description uh, of the podcast. Uh, as we've been doing this month, uh, trying to just add a little bit of spice to your holiday music lineup, and uh, my oldest brother Luke um, has something that he calls the first rule of cover songs, and I think that it, that sort of gets at the challenge for anyone cutting a holiday album is that and and my brother's rule is the first rule of cover, cover songs is you got to bring something new to it. Yeah. And there are a lot of versions of holiday songs out there. They're perfectly fine. People are good, you know, there are good singers out there. But the, the ones that are special bring something a little new to it, make it, you know, a little different in some way. And so Absolutely. that's that's what today's song does uh from the movie Jack Frost 1998 uh, Michael yeah. Keaton who's just killing it lately with, yeah, between is. Birdman and Spotlight. He's just crushing it. And Jack Frost not a great movie, but uh version of Frosty the Snowman. I'm calling that three. Thanks for being here. thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.
2: Come cool.